Welcome to the inaugural episode of BitMart Bites. I'm Nathan Simone with BitMart, and I'm here joined by my colleague, Matt Ryan. You might know us from two little tiny podcasts that we do. One is called Crypto Conversations, and the other one is called NFT 101. Well, we've decided to start this new series called BitMart Bites, where we look at some of the most interesting headlines that we've found recording those podcasts and comment on them, break them down, get you a little uh, entertainment and education in the same way. So, Matt, I hope that you came prepared with your headlines because I certainly have mine. I, I certainly did. I put, I put together a list. You know, I've got, I've, got, I've, got, I've got four stories for today. Whoa, look at this guy. He's making yeah. lists. He's uh, he's wearing, uh, is that still the ice cream cone shirt? Is that a nice one? That's a classic. It's the only shirt I own. <laughs> Guys, you really need to watch this because uh, Matt cannot just be wearing ice cream shirts. <laughs> he needs something with like a little a little palm tree, like maybe like a little dog. Uh, I know that he has a little dog. We won't oh, get she into ain't, she her. Ain't little. Because, she, she's stalking oh. somewhere around in the studio uh, oh. right now. And uh, she, she, all of the fat baby, uh, if you've listened or watched any of my work from my studio, uh, you will occasionally hear her uh, get a conversation in. And uh, let's get the conversation started, Nathan. Let's bite down on some of these stories you've heard, uh, starting with this one from NFT 101. Tony Hawk partnering with an NFT company and the Sandbox to bring the world's largest skate park to the metaverse. Well, the metaverse's biggest skate park. Uh, I think this, if it's like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, or it looks like it's kind of like the uh, Minecraft version of Tony Hawk Pro Skater, and I don't know about you, but I loved that game growing up, not just because of the soundtrack and the reason why I love the Dead Kennedys and a whole bunch of other bands, but uh, one of the best just like serotonin games to where you can just kind of do the tasks, do the flip, like it's just... It's kind of just like when you listen to the the lo-fi hip-hop channel on YouTube. Oh, yeah, referencing that old lo-fi uh, hip-hop channel. Of course, you know, Matt, it's been discussed. I'm not a huge gamer, but I grew up and I'm a 90s kid. I'm a huge Tony Hawk fan. I am so bullish on this. I'm actually more bullish on Tony Hawk's Metaverse skate park than I think I am on Bitcoin because I just, I love Tony Hawk. And if you've ever listened to him on podcast, he is a straight up just good dude. That's the only way that I can describe him. I would love to talk to him and meet him someday. So huge thumbs up on this for me. Tony Hawk can do whatever he wants and I will pretty much support it. So the skate park in the metaverse, uh, I, is, I'm just hoping that it can even come close to Tony Hawk uh, 64, you know, the uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I'm sorry. That yeah, no, no, that's, did you get, I got the remix. I, I uh, had a few friends uh, pass that along to me uh, and I played that whole game uh, every day for like three to four hours until I beat it. And every once in a while, I'll play levels just to, to unwind. The best song on that soundtrack. What was the best song on that soundtrack and why was it Superman by Goldfinger? <laughs> I was about to say, I think Tony Hawk is the actually the game that introduced me to Rage Against the Machine. Yes. You know, lights out Gorilla Radio, eh? Turn that up, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I can't say enough good things about Tony Hawk. I'm glad that he's getting into the metaverse. I, I hope he does NFTs. I will just say this in closing before we move on to, to my headline from that day. Um, 
I played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater on PlayStation N64, and then I want to say Xbox 360 or something like that before I kind of aged out of of playing a lot a lot of video games. And I played it so much that I thought I actually knew how to skateboard. And then I went outside and I clearly did not know how to skateboard. I did the I did the exact same thing. I had a, <laughs> a board for Christmas and I'm like 200, 210, 220, 10 years old. Not good. Not a good look at all. It, and I'm like, I'm going to break this board. I'm going to break this by God board. And, and you know, I didn't. But I, me and balance don't get along all too well, especially since I've had a badly injured ankle since a Met game in 2004, maybe 2005. Oh. Yeah. Rain, bleachers, extra innings. Ouch. Yeah. Oh. I landed a little too hard on it. But speaking of hard-hitting, let's go to the hard-hitting headlines from the Crypto Conversations Daily Crypto Watch. What, well, what, what do you have? Yeah, here's a hard-hitting uh, hard headline is that Grayscale, which is a big investment firm, they have all this research and all this analysis they've done over the crypto market, and they claim that this crypto winter that we're in, right, where the market is really depressed, people are losing their shirts, lenders are going out of business, they say – hey, there's only about 250 days left and then the market will recover again, which sounds sort of too optimistic. But I will say, having been in crypto for a decent amount of time, I think I tend to agree with them and that this is just a really positive indicator that it's like, there's. it's always nice when there's objective data to, to tell you, hey, you're just in a period of time, things will get better, um, like literally similar to seasons it's almost like an economic season right if you never knew that winter existed as a season and somebody plopped you on earth and you're like oh my god it's a it's a frozen wasteland but then somebody told you no in about 90 days it it gets better or you know 180 days depending on where you are yeah that's a very positive thing (laughs) yeah and you know the market is beset by so many things and i think a lot of people don't kind of recognize that the crypto market the despite it being decentralized for the most part, is still affected by market conditions. It's affected by inflation. It's infect, you know, gas prices, the environment, especially gas prices, you know, oh, gas yeah. fees and things like that drive, you know, drive stocks and drive cryptos up the wall. And when the economy gets tightened, people are less inclined to buy an NFT, to buy crypto unless they're major stakeholders or basically addicted to the addicted to the game like a like a day trader. Oh yeah. I mean a- absolutely. I just couldn't agree with you more, Matt. It's like hey, when gas was 250 a gallon, I could dollar cost average a certain amount into Bitcoin, NFTs, whatever I wanted to do. When gas is $5 a gallon, I just simply don't have the money to do what I want to with that sort of stuff. And that's just one example, right? The economy is so big and so complex. But I think like that the hope here is that Grayscale is a really reputable investment firm that deals with crypto. And so to them, for them to come out with this analysis and say, hey, look, you know, don't invest money that you need for other stuff and just kind of wait it out. There is an end in sight. I think that's a positive. Uh, that's a positive thing for people. I, I, I'd view that as a positive, to be completely honest with you. It's just, you know, not a lot of positive stories in the news this week, though, Nathan. Uh, my my oh, second story. Oh. I was going to say, well, l- let me let me do the second story Ooh. first, because this is totally up your wheelhouse. OK, <laughs> this is an interesting, positive story. OK. UFC fighter, oh, I'm going to mispronounce her name, but it's, I want to say it's Luana 
Pinheiro. She's Brazilian, I believe. She's a UFC fighter, female UFC fighter. She wants to receive her full salary in Bitcoin, and she doesn't even care about the volatility. That that is that is just totally fascinating to me. I don't know if you're aware of her as a fighter, but she, if you go on to read the article on Cointelegraph, she says, hey, look, I'm a jujitsu fighter. I'm interested in the long term. I know how long these things take to develop, and I'm bullish on Bitcoin. And that to me is like a very positive story. But you're you're the fighter guy, Matt. You know all about that. What do you think about it? <laughs> well, you know, Luana Pinero is a top 15 fighter. You know, she's 28, only 28 years old. She is since joining the she hasn't lost a fight since 2017 so she has been making money end over end uh is two fights in the ufc so far both of them last year a win over sam hughes who is a highly regarded prospect and randa marcos who's a vet um getting her shot in the ufc on dana white's contender series so she's a solid fighter and we're seeing a lot of crypto acceptance in the mma community we see it with uh different fighters starting their own coins. The UFC has gone whole hog in their partnership with crypto.com have launched two different NFT platforms. We know that a lot of fighters like the Diaz brothers, Conor McGregor are interested in the non-fungible space and fighters want to get paid in. And there's also the crypto.com uh, bonus. There's a fighter fan vote bonus that gets paid out in crypto. So this is another case of combat sports being first adapters, first adopters of technology. It goes back to boxing and wrestling with pay-per-view and also traditional television. Boxing and radio go hand in hand. It's always been an evolving part of technology. Combat sports are early first adapters because they have to find the way. Sometimes they're not as popular as traditional American sports or traditional sports like basketball, football, both types of football, so many things within the American television and international television landscape. So they have to evolve. They have to find ways that, you know, this is just that next step in that evolution. And I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes the norm for a lot of fighters, not necessarily top fighters, because they're making in insane amounts of money off of guarantees and percentages. But I, I can see this being a rising trend with a lot of fighters. Yeah, and she's obviously just such a tough lady, and she has resources available to her that I, I can't imagine that she just, like, made this decision lightly. So I think that that's why it makes me really optimistic is that she seems to have a lot of good people in her wheelhouse, a lot of resources available to her, and she made this decision. So I'm just going to end with a quote with her real quick, and then we can go to your story. Um, she says, think about it. It takes an average of 10 to 15 years for an individual to obtain a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So my time preference is just as long, if not longer. Everything else is just noise to me, and the lower the price, the more Bitcoin I can secure for the future. It's a smart play, but uh, fighting careers don't sometimes last as long as you'd like. And when you're fighting in a division, you know, where the top is elite, you're going to run into someone in the top five, in the top ten, who are buzzsaws. And that can make or break your career. So you have to be forward-thinking enough and trust your skills enough to do something like that. And trust is a big part of my story, Nathan, because it goes into the world of hacking. That's cool. right. Pre-Mint earlier this week got hacked. 300, over 300 NFTs equating to over 400,000 USD were taken in the hack that happened 
over the weekend and 320 stolen NFTs. And according to Certic, this article coming to us from Decrypt, the hackers compromised a pre-mint website on Sunday with malicious JavaScript code and then created a pop-up to have people connect or verify their wallet ownerships. That's got to be a scary thing for yeah. users to where if people can get into the JavaScript code and and get so precise with a hack like that, we talked about it and you'll hear it on uh, the latest edition of the Bitmart Brain Trust with Doug Smith, the idea of security. We talk about the story specifically and you realize that it's just, this is the most prevalent issue in my opinion in all of non-traditional finance because th the idea of freedom, the idea of decentralization and, you know, those security has to be paramount to all these services. And if, you know, it behooves the community to make a move forward. And, you know, it's just a, it's so unfortunate that it was JavaScript, Matt, because I, you know, Java to me is a woolly positive word as a coffee lover. I, I've got a mug right here. And so that just really, that makes it even worse for me. But to sum this up just real briefly, because I know we did talk about this on the Brain Trust, this is kind of the equivalent of Web3 users, NFT users. This is the equivalent of, you know, if somebody sends you an email, Matt, and they, it doesn't matter who they claim to be. They could claim to be me, BitMart, the president of the United States. It doesn't matter. And they say, click this link for a special thing. And you click that link and you don't have the proper antivirus software, or it leads you somewhere astray, it's, it's, it's unfortunately um, a user error on your end, but it's a user error that is easily prevented by education. Um, it's, it's the more sophisticated version of when scammers will call up like old people on the telephone and pretend to be from the social security agency or you know a retirement fund or something like that and get them to voluntarily give over assets or property or stuff like that. And, Unfortunately, the only thing that can be done here is if you're getting into this space, NFTs, crypto, whatever, please only ever use official websites, you know, double check where you're doing and be somewhat suspicious about sending your crypto NFTs anywhere unless you are 100% certain that that is the process you should be using. There is a lot of help and there's a lot of education in this area, but you, you do have to do the work in order to find out who you should be trusting. That, that's all I can say. So I shouldn't. So I shouldn't go to this website, Uncle Devontrius's House of Crypto and Ribs. This, this, no, that's, this actually, is... that's actually fine. The ribs are fire. Yeah, the ribs are fire. <laughs> <laughs> are they Kansas City though, or are they uh, like what kind? Am I getting sauce or am I getting rub? That's the important uh, question. It's been a while. I think it's Memphis style, so it may be a little bit mustard based. But you'll want to bring a bib. Yeah, you'll want to bring a bib for sure. So, and you probably, you probably look good with like an ice cream bib or something like that. Uh, <laughs> not, not to, uh, not to soup you up too much, you know? I'm a, so I'm a, handsome, I'm a handsome man, according to, uh, what I tell myself in the mirror every day in between the tears. Um, but that, Nathan, that's what's, a, what's that's a good next? affirmation exercise. Don't stop doing that. Don't stop doing that. I won't, I won't fault you for that. The next headline that we've got coming up and this came out on Wednesday was, the South Korean authorities raided 15 entities related to the Terra collapse. You might remember Terra, Terra Luna, that was the big token that was an algorithmic stablecoin. And there were a bunch of exchanges that they raided in South Korea. And the reason why this is a big deal is even though Terra Luna is out of the headlines, people are still feeling the hurt from it. 
and people want answers, right? Anytime anybody loses money, is scammed, anything bad happens to them, they want answers. And this is kind of something new in crypto to where we are really seeing, we know that we're getting closer to mainstream adoption because the police, the prosecutors, the politicians, people that got involved in Luna in any way or their constituents were hurt, they're pissed. And so now they're coming after people with lawsuits and going through all the due diligence channels. And, um, you know, you, you, you feel bad for the South Korean exchanges, but this the actions have consequences and these are the consequences that are coming. This should be how everything in financial crime should be handled. The, uh, yes. uh, that this is something to where it's a great example of protecting those who are being either misled or are victims of things that are beyond their circumstance, beyond what they can do. Sure. This is a conversation that needs to be had, I think, globally uh, in how we deal with financial crime or financial disasters. But for me, I'm glad that this is happening. I'm glad that there is justice. And I'm glad that, you know, people who got misled on their way to the moon or Luna uh, didn't end up uh, getting, you know, crashing into the surface. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. What's really interesting about this is people will denigrate crypto and they'll say crypto is full of these scams. You can't trust crypto, things like that. But then when you see stories like this, uh, this is the sort of stuff that probably should be have been happening on Wall Street for mm -hmm. bare minimum last 20 years. So it, it, in a way, I'm going to frame this as a positive, just like you said, to where something bad happened. People lost money. My personal opinion, not BitMart's opinion, my personal opinion is that Luna was essentially a very, very complex mathematical Ponzi scheme. Um, maybe they didn't know that when they started it out, but that info will come out later. And I'm just glad that people have not forgotten about it. People are prosecuting it and that the founder, Do Kwan, he is uh, he's going to get what's coming to him. You know, he's going to reap what he sowed. And let's uh, uh, that message brought to you by Nathan Simone, uh, 2024. <laughs> uh, but our, our next story, we go talking about Luna. We go to the moon next as Buzz Aldrin is selling some of his classic stuff from the famous Apollo 11 mission. Nathan, that that just oh. uh, we just passed the 53 year mark uh, last week on July 20th. And now we're going to have the ability to own some of Buzz Aldrin's stuff. And it'll come with a an NFT proving provenance. It's a, a smart contract going alongside it. And this is a really cool story and showing how auction houses are going all in on uh, on these uh, on these different assets. We see Sotheby's start a venture, venture capital fund this week as well. It's interesting to see how NFTs and the and the space of owning thing, you know, owning collectibles from history and also the auction houses are getting in on it. I first of all, no shade to Buzz Aldrin. Um, I did not know that Buzz Aldrin was still alive. So good on him that he is still out there and kicking, especially after going to the moon and all that. I will say this shortly on it. Um what is the NFT actually for? Is it like a moon rock or is it his like space suit or what, what is the NFT well, based you've on? Got, the NFTs are going to be based on, well, they're going to be coming with assets such as something that'll cost a million to $2 million USD, a broken circuit breaker and switch, a circuit breaker switch oh, and pen. And okay. then you get the NFT that's basically a smart contract 
Uh, gotcha. It'll be a Mira Image NFT, a unique digital identifier. This is coming to us from Forbes, linked to its physical object by using novel microscopic 3D scanning technology. The sure. NFT is minted by Mira, which is on the Ethereum blockchain and recording it uh, on micron level details, such as the object's metadata and provenance in information for proof of authenticity. Perfect. So that's exactly what I was getting at. That's what I really, really love is that I understand when somebody doesn't want to buy an NFT because it's digital art or it's a JPEG or it's pixel art or something like that. That's just user preference. But this is actually a use case for NFTs where the digital NFT that you own is linked to a, I would say, a real world NFT, right? Because yeah. there's only one circuit breaker off of the Apollo 11 uh, mission, or at least that is still surviving that they're um, that they're doing it. So this is a cool thing to me where we kind of got into this, Matt, um, in, in earlier episodes where almost like a ticket or almost like a luxury item, owning this NFT you know, and paying such an outrageous sum of money for it, it has a lot of clout to it because you say, not only is the digital NFT super cool, it's a digital representation, but hey, this is actually linked to me owning this this already non-fungible asset. So I think that's super cool. And you will be able to see all of these stories in the comments below in the uh, in the little info box watching, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the BitMart Podcast Network. Uh, and it's time for our fourth story. We're heading over to Thursday and something going on with Tesla. Yeah, Tesla is an interesting case because obviously Tesla is led by Elon Musk and he just kind of does whatever he wants to. Um, and the crypto market is an interesting indicator of they... L- Elon Musk is obviously a very polarizing figure in life and digitally, but the crypto market especially, they either live on his every word or they completely ignore his every word. There's really no in-between. And this is interesting because Tesla was one of the first companies other than MicroStrategy and uh, Jack Dorsey Square to purchase Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet. They wanted to have it as a reserve asset similar to how you'd own gold or property or things like that. But what's interesting is Elon Musk has been very, very vocal about he doesn't think Bitcoin is sustainable enough, and he doesn't like how much energy it consumes, and he flip-flops back and forth on this. But the, the actual reality is he, he announced on an earnings call recently that Tesla sold their Bitcoin, obviously at a deflated market price, because they wanted cash to do something else for Tesla, I assume to develop the company further or something like that. And people were wondering – oh no, does Elon Musk not like Bitcoin because the price of Bitcoin went down a little bit once he announced this, but he still proclaims. He says, I still love Bitcoin. I just want it to be more sustainable and I want to fit certain values that he has. So it's it's kind of odd. He's, it's just, he's, he's, flip-flopping, he's flip-flopping back and forth, but the short and long of it is they sold almost a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in order to get cash. That is a lot of Bitcoin. That is, that, yeah, that. it's 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 quite a lot. It's not as much as MicroStrategy and, and Michael Saylor has, um, and they have a more interesting strategy where Michael Saylor really does treat it like gold, and he says that he is never, ever, ever selling his Bitcoin, which I would agree with as a uh, investment strategy. He's he's I think personally much more interesting <laughs> and intelligent to listen to than Elon. Sorry, Elon, but um, yeah. So that's really it, is that Elon Musk continually flip-flops on Bitcoin, and since they were one of the major companies to hold it on their balance sheet, 
they that list of companies has now grown smaller. And speaking of smaller, the the world of Minecraft, Nathan, has gotten a lot smaller in terms of NFTs. As in a statement on their website this week, Minecraft announced that they will no longer allow NFT skins or NFT packs or NFT sites to be built on their servers. And this is big news in the play-to-earn or win-to-earn community and it's a big, you know, when you take a look uh, in our Minecraft usage guidelines, this is coming directly from Minecraft.net. We outline how a server owner can charge for access and that all players should have access to the same functionality. So you're allowed to own a server on the Minecraft server and charge for access to that server. That's common in a lot of PC gaming. That's common in a lot of internet gaming. I know World of Warcraft had servers that were you would charge to get on or there would be prices along with that third party. But not allowing NFTs because of the ability to have the same functionality. We have these rules to ensure that Minecraft remains a community where everyone has access to the same content. Now, Nathan, I, I respect it for the audience. I respect it to create a place to where anyone has access. I like the democratization of Minecraft. But you have to wonder if this is more for show than it is for their beliefs because I think a lot of people were starting to utilize Minecraft for NFT functionality and they wanted to make a big stink about it and, you know, draw a little bit more focus onto the game. Not saying that was the key reason, but doing this also the same day competitors like Square Enix dropped their first NFT line. And then you have uh, Epic Games going whole hog. uh, And this was on the non-fungible news on Friday talking about that, being big believers in NFTs and allowing for freedom uh, in that sense. I respect the Minecraft decision. I think it was it comes from a good place because that is a huge community. But not allowing users to make money in one way as opposed to another way is an interesting choice. And how do you decide where to ch- where to char- charging for access as opposed to charging for goods? What's the what's the real difference there? Well, and this is interesting because I'm not a Minecraft player at all. I've never actually played Minecraft. I've just watched others and interacted with others that do. It's funny because Minecraft, because of its pixelated nature, seems like it would be just a ripe world for NFTs. And everybody is so creative in the Minecraft universe, that's my understanding, that it you would think that NFTs would be a perfect fit. My only comment on this, Matt, is... I think that uh, my understanding is that a lot of Minecraft players are below the ages of 18. I don't know how big it is. And so this may have been a kind of heavy-hearted decision to where they said, we really can't be responsible for kids getting scammed out of their money or something like that. And in that way, I can understand it. But yes, it, it seems, to me, it seems nonsensical. And to me, it seems a little bit silly because... Minecraft and NFTs seems like they would go together like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, no, that's completely true. But we have one more story before we wrap up here today on the BitMart, uh, the, the program uh, on uh, BitMart On the inaugural Bites. episode of BitMart Bites. Yeah, uh, yes, I've got, one, I've got one more just little headline that I wanted to bring up here, a little international story, and that is that Taiwan 
is going to ban crypto purchases utilizing credit cards. They've given payment providers in the country three months to say, hey, look, um, you can't allow consumers to purchase crypto with credit cards. It's going to be illegal. And this is not something new in Taiwan. They've already banned. You can't buy stocks with credit cards. You can't gamble with them. And this kind of does make sense from a financial perspective, but it's always interesting to me when governments limit the ability of their citizens to buy crypto um, because it's it, it's commonly seen as a tool for financial freedom or exchanging value permissionlessly. So this will be interesting. And it's actually more interesting because of its proximity to China, where crypto is essentially, it's very nuanced, but it's essentially banned. So this is kind of just another, um, another uh, roadblock where, you know, people in Taiwan that wanted to purchase crypto or get into crypto um, cannot do so. That last comment I'll say is actually, you know, I remember back in 2017, if you were on any of the major exchanges, uh, you know, I won't name any of them, but any of the major exchanges used to do this, you were actually allowed to buy crypto with a credit card, uh, which I did because not only could you purchase an asset, you could actually get cash back for that asset, which doesn't exist uh, almost ever. <laughs> so, um, but they shut that down real quick. JP Morgan did not like that uh, back in 2017 or so. So it's actually been illegal in the USA for quite a while. And so I guess Taiwan is just kind of catching up to what everybody else has done. Yeah, I, I agree with this move by Taiwan, to be completely honest, uh, because it allows for anyone who to avoid massive debt. Because uh, sure. if you look at it the same way you would look at buying stocks or buying or, or gambling or anything to that nature to denoting major risk because investing is not it's not it's not mm -hmm. gambling but you are taking a huge risk and it allows people to not drive themselves into deep credit card debt which oh, yeah. is vastly important in my opinion yeah it's i I'm, I'm always so conflicted on these types of issues because i like people to determine their own lives and be empowered but i, I also recognize that there are lots of people that you essentially have to protect from themselves um, and who would go into deep credit card debt buying lottery tickets or lots of other frivolous things. Um, and that's that's just the reality that I've observed in the world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to have to side with you there that, hey, I wish that you could have the freedom to do whatever you want to with your credit card, but this will probably be better than not. But I think that that's the end of our BitMart inaugural Bytes session here, BitMart Bytes, where we go a little bit deeper into the headlines, analyze them, and bring up our favorites. You know, in case you haven't listened to our podcast, which are NFT 101 and Crypto Conversations. Matt, do you have any closing words before I uh, give the sign-off here? Um, comment, like, subscribe, and we keep talking about Bytes. I'm going to go eat something because I haven't eaten Whoa. something. Whoa. So I'm going to okay, go, yeah. go om nom nom on some stuff. Yeah, Matt, we definitely want to let Matt go eat something. I just wanted to bring up, like he said, please comment, like, subscribe to all of our social media. BitMart has a welcome bonus going on, $3,000 just for registering, trading, and depositing your favorite crypto. And if you have not subscribed to our podcast, once again, NFT 101, Crypto Conversations, look them up. They're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, everywhere that you can receive audio content. I've been Nathan. Matt, you've been wonderful. Thank okay? you. So have you. And I hope that this BitMart Byte session has enabled you to make better decisions in crypto.
Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in this very unique industry. But now we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, all right? It's just the way that it is. So I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of Bitmark. Bitmart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. Bitmart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk.